Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to introduce to you this world-recognized traveler, blogger, influencer <laughs> of the Franklin Street Globetrotters, owner and founder of Venture Leadership Consulting, involved wife and mother of three little ones, conscious consumer, activist, inspiration, and dear friend of mine. We've done some consulting work together, but also a lot of volunteer work together. This is Isla Malik. Malik, excuse me. And I want to allow you to introduce yourself, Isla. I think that is the best list I've heard <laughs> of an introduction. Yeah. The only thing I would add is that I'm a lawyer by schooling. I often say this. I'm a lawyer by schooling and a social worker by heart. <laughs> right. And really most of my non-home life, traveling life is spent in the nonprofit executive space. Yeah. You're dedicated to impact in every way of your life. You are a conscious consumer and you're a conscious neighbor. I went over to your house a few weeks ago for a meeting where we had a walking meeting and outside of your house, you had a sign in the lawn that said, all are welcome here. And mm. do you remember what exactly is on that sign? Or Yeah. It's, it's like that we're glad you're here. It's a very much of an inclusive sign, which is definitely our, I think our values We're really, really clear about our values and our work and our, I appreciate you recognizing it because in our house, the professional and the personal context really have to align. And I think that creates a synergy. And so our values are really around inclusivity. They're around civic engagement. They're around community. So we, a lot of our signage and the way that we present ourselves and involve ourselves in in the community is uh, according to those values, I think, I hope. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I would say from my perspective, it is. And I think you're really careful about what you get involved in yeah. and what you stand for and what you don't. And mm-hmm. you're boisterous about it also. Around on that same theme, you've got your 40th birthday just happened. Happy yep. birthday. Thank you. Tell everybody what you're doing for your birthday. Oh my gosh. It, this has been the best birthday party ever. And it is a virtual birthday party. So along those same lines, what I got really clear about for myself, selfishly, was how do I create a meaningful way to see other people, honor our relationships, and to have me be seen for my values and what I stand for? And I'm really tired. I think after we've traveled, we've traveled extensively, as you know, for for a year with small kids. And we've seen trash crisis and we've seen overconsumption and we've seen the real negative effects of consumerism. And so I'm really conscious about things and the holiday season is starting. And so in an effort to align all these worlds, I had clarity to create a community kindness party, hashtag community kindness party. And we had about five days of an invitation and ask for people, whether they knew me or not, but specific ask the people who knew me to do some kind of act of kindness, be it big or small, be it formal through a nonprofit or to the stranger across the way, and somehow capture that and share it. And so we had a social media campaign. I think if you search community kindness party on Facebook or Instagram, depending on people's privacy, you'll you'll see the different posts. I'm tabulating results. 
But as awesome. of right now, we're near over a hundred people participating wow. and nearly ten thousand dollars raised for communities and lots of interesting wow, ideas from kindness around food and meals to like conversations with neighbors, random strangers on the bus, helping people with auto trouble, biking accidents. I mean, like really great community kindness stuff. And there's been a ripple effect. So several people have seen this and then said, oh, I'm going to copy that idea. And so that's been part of what's been amazing. And so I want to do a community kindness party every year. (laughs) I love it. And also, I think you can search for hashtag Isla's 40. Is that right? Yeah, Isla Isla is 40. A-I-L-A is 40. And then the other hashtag is community kindness party. And my hope is, and maybe your listeners will steal the community kindness party hashtag. I hope people party for all reasons. And and so the Isla is 40 is just for my personal photo album, but the community kindness party, please. I hope people will use that idea. I love what you're doing. Also, you made mention to the travel and I'm yeah. curious if you want to share some thoughts around basically just tell everybody what you did and then yeah. tell us how you're doing now. It's been a few months since you've been yeah. home <laughs> and how are you integrating back into society after the travel? Yeah. Wow. All great questions. So the shortest, so the other introduction you made was through Franklin Street Globetrotters. And that is our, our handle, our travel handle for social media and also a website, franklinstreetglobetrotters.org. My husband and I, we got married very young. We were 24. We were high school sweethearts. And the dream was always to travel and explore the world before kids, before career. And fortunately for us, we had kids and career happen pretty quick. And so we said, well, we're just going to have to travel with kids. And so we had kid number two, kid number three. And we got really clear again, just a lot of clarity around alignment and said, all right, before the oldest hits high school, we will take a year off and we will immerse ourselves in our global community. So we always knew that that year was going to be 2018, 2019. And so we aligned our professional interests. We aligned our finances. We sort of aligned everything we we could in that in those 10 years and brainwashed our children. <laughs> and we traveled for 54 weeks and we went to 41 countries. And the majority of our travels, we did, we touched most continents, but the majority of our travel was around immersion. So we really immersed with nonprofits, indigenous cultures and people. We really did a lot of environmental awareness and created planet protectors in our children, I would say. And so we went from Central America, South America, Antarctica, little bit of Europe. And then we spent a good three and a half months in North, East, and Southern Africa, the Middle East, a little bit of Asia and came home. Oh. It was amazing. No I mean, big deal. It, then just came home. And just came home. And that's actually the sentiment of, and just came home was how I thought it was going to be. And we've been home for almost five months now. And this is the first time I did the last three weeks or so is the first time we're starting to feel more in our skin about being home. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it's almost icky in a way because we come back, we've already had this culture shock of coming back to the US where there's so much emphasis on more things and more plastic and more, 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 bigger, better. So it's a really weird juxtaposition, but I, I feel like there's a clarity in how we're now leaning into our current community at home and how we're being together at home, what 
we've come up with little tricks around how to keep wonderment alive for us. Like what? Tell us about Like it. a couple things. So we, I have a 13 year old, a 10 year old and an eight year old. And for about 20 minutes every night, except for weekends, we have reading time. And so we put on meditation music, we light a candle and we all sit in one space. So not in our bedrooms, but in the living room. And we read our own books, but in the same space. And that creates that squishiness for us in a really calming way. We also have protected about one weekend a month is a protected weekend where we know friends are over for adults or kids and we do activities together. So that could be rock climbing. It could be a hike. It could be we're going and exploring someplace, you know, around here, but we adventure together. Hmm. And then the other thing is we kind of all have small little things we do. So one practice that I started and my my daughter is we paint rocks with positive messages and we secretly hide them all over the place. And it's actually, if you want to, if you're interested in those, it's called community rocks. So there's an Instagram community.rocks. And so we hide them around our neighborhood or wherever we go we give them away to people for them to hide and then what's fun is when you have them hidden and you walk along those paths and you try to secretly see if they've been moved or they've been picked up so we create this magic because we're trying to relive this this notion of of wonderment which i think is is something that's very easy to do when you're traveling and maybe a little you have to have more intentionality at home Mm. And sparking joy for others. Sparking joy for others, right? Yeah. Like how cool would it be? Like one of our rocks is, what are you thankful for? Yeah. Or joy. And so just if you're walking down the street and you see this beautifully painted rock that says joy, you know, you can't help but smile. I have a cousin who's wonderful and hopefully she'll be on my, well, I have many cousins who are all wonderful. <laughs> one in particular. <laughs> I know. I just want to tell a story about this one person. I'm not favorite. But she has started writing notes on a piece of paper and then putting them on somebody's windshield on their car. I love like, that. Just an act of love and kindness. So it says something like, have a wonderful day. You're important in this world or something I like lo- that. See, I love that. <laughs> That is, that's what we have to get to. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, like just if I can take two seconds on a rant. So, so in this birthday week, right. Of this community kindness party. I also, so my gift to myself with no things this year, no presents, but I did send myself to Ted women 2019. I am so clear that with the world, the way that it is now with our climate change crisis, with our political crisis, with our divisiveness, with wars, with literally like every social, economic, and environmental problem, at the root of all of it, I am super clear that it cannot, we cannot as a humankind surpass and overcome and fix and resolve these systemic challenges unless we learn how to connect with each other and how to create a community and an ethos of kindness. And I know that sounds so like, of course, the nonprofit practitioner is going to say that, but it's so true. There is science behind, been proven by research that group think and a diversity of ideas will always outwin one solo expert's idea. There is research proven um, information about how There's power in numbers. You know, you talk about collective action, you talk about community mobilization, you talk about civil disobedience. 
There's power and strength in numbers. You can't get to group think and group action in silos, and you can't get to ending classism and racism and oppression with an us and a them mentality. I know it sounds cheesy, and I know it, they're rocks, and they're notes on windshields, and there's small acts of kindness and podcasts. But at the end of the day, if you're paralyzed by the state of our world, then mobilizing into small acts of love and kindness and connection is not only a huge value, I think it's imperative and essential. And the only way, I think, the only strategy we have left to build upon solutions for our planet. If there's not clarity on or an emphasis or a priority on respecting each other, I don't think we're I don't think we're gonna find a way out of our problems. Hmm. I love I love you so much and I love what you do. <laughs> But it is so far from what most families would feel, first of all, comfortable Mm -hmm. with doing, let alone able to do. What are other thoughts that you've seen work beyond the, you know, little notes or acts of kindness? Yeah. And families or individuals start to sort of bridge the gap between sort of the more extreme immersive lifestyle and, you know, I'm just a you know, person on the way to work, yeah. trying to make all ends meet and, you know, what can be done? Yeah, I think that's super fair. And I don't think you need to travel the world for 54 weeks to to have these realizations. I really don't. I, and I hope not because that's, you're right, that becomes really limiting. I think the first is having really clear awareness. And I mean that both internally and externally. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to speak on both. So internally, We're living in an age where people's validation and esteem come from social media, come from media, come from whatever societal norms are thrown at you. And you are passively, you know, your data is stolen and it's coming back to you with algorithms (laughs) to get things that you are supposed to compare yourself to and want. And it's a tough environment if you're unaware. So if you're Mm. numbing yourself out (laughs) because there's so much coming in, then you lose the ability potentially to really understand where your own intrinsic motivation comes from, your Mm. own self-worth, your own ideas of what success looks like, getting aware with what your blind spots are in terms of your ability to bring your whole self. And so I think there's an awareness around you can't connect authentically with people meaningfully in in the space that we need to be able to solve climate crisis and global crisis. You can't do that, I think, until you have some clarity about understanding and loving yourself. And so I think that's a that's a huge need. And I think connecting with people, those of you who are in that journey, it's never done that we're in that journey, I think connecting with people invites other people to explore themselves too. I think it's a it's a cyclical, positively cyclical thing. I also think there's awareness around actions that you can take in whatever issue is calling to you. And so psychologists, specifically climate psychologists, talk about something called a window of tolerance, which Mm -hmm. is our mental and sort of psychological capacity to act. And they say that when people have the right amount of information and the right amount of urgency, they're motivated to do some sort of action. But when you're bombarded with urgency or you don't quite know where to start or you're unaware, then you can move to the edges of those windows, which may look like apathy Mm. and withdrawal or denial. And so 
I, I really think that to stay in a window of tolerance means that we find ways that we can engage with big issues at our own terms, but it has to be something. So let me give you some ideas. I think from a humanity perspective, I really do think random acts of kindness, generosity, asking yourself what you've done, one, one to three things you've done for someone else today, asking yourself one to three things that you're grateful for. A practice of gratitude is a very centering space around connection and humanity. Those are really easy, small things. If you want to get a little more formal, I think there's some really interesting, great work happening in the space of citizen science. So Mm. if you Google citizen science, you will find ways in which you as an everyday person can be aware of your environment around you. And, you know, they have ways you can take pictures of bugs, take pictures, look around and see if you see butterflies. And with an app, upload that information so that people can track and understand migrations and counts of insects, which is data that cannot be accessed by a solo scientist or solo wow, organization. Wow. That is a very impactful way that most people, all people can participate in correcting our climate change. I think the other pieces are, of course, looking at ways you can be active in your community, whether that's through a nonprofit volunteering or donations. We've heard of those things. But I think civic engagement, what commissions can you join in your city? Have you joined the Chamber of Commerce's programs? Have you gone to your local city council meeting or your county board of supervisors meeting? Those are public meetings. Have you participated and understood what is on the docket? Well, how is your city addressing homelessness? Mm. How is your city, does your city use a human rights analysis frame when they discuss policy issues? Do they discuss environmental impact of policy issues? These are really simple things that you can schedule a meeting one to two hours in a month could give you insight and give you voice around those things. So I think those are some ways. I mean, there's a whole, I have a whole bunch, but I think it's about the awareness first so that you can pick up on that kind of information. I love what you've shared and thank you so much for giving so many options. I know that there are many more that we can all do, but I, I think that those are really tangible and doable solutions or suggestions. And as you were talking, I was thinking about the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. which is right? you know, yeah. exactly what you're talking about when you, yeah. you're able to make a big systematic change by one or two actions. And I think those of your listeners that have families that you know, have mm. children, we have an enormous opportunity, perhaps a responsibility to involve our children in this kind of awareness. Recently, my daughter and I got on a, there's a great website, it's called Slum Dwellers Institute, I believe, Mm. where you can pick a continent or pick a region and understand how their unhoused population or their slums are are existing. This is, these are small areas with maybe 75,000, 100,000 people in them. And there's initiatives now on how they can design appropriate housing to create more permanency and better conditions. And there's efforts happening through the UN and countries, but it's as accessible to an eight-year-old to go online Mm. and understand and figure out how they want to either donate their their money or how do they want to participate or write a letter to a legislator. It's really easy to do. So I think with kids, there's an added ability to influence the next generation. 
which I think is really special. And I, and I don't think you have to travel to do that. I think you can travel by the internet. Mm. Um, and the last other piece is, is to understand technology. The power of technology is huge. I think it's arrogant to think that technology alone will rescue us from all of the troubles that humankind has created. But I do think technology has some very promising, innovative ways to solve stuff if we can handle the connection piece. And so how in this time and with this new era and with new social media, my son, my 13-year-old is on TikTok now. I mean, there's so many platforms that I have to keep up with to understand, like, what are they being exposed to, right? So how do we use this kind of social media and technology for good, like the community kindness party? You know, how do we, instead of resisting gaming, how do we begin to use these strategies as a way to spread connection and kindness in ways that will work with both extroverted and introverted people, right? Like how do we, how do we use that as a tool? Everything is fair game. And I think if you keep connection in mind, technology plays a role, awareness, connection with other, everything, everything starts to align. Beautiful. So well said. Thank you so much, Isla. It's really helpful and it's a really important message that you uniquely can share. Um, everybody has their own message that's unique to them, but the way that you articulate yourself and the complexity of your perspectives, the way you think, what you've been exposed to and how you bring that back to the people around you and the people that are not even around you, but you've now created community with through the internet, through your blogging, through your mm-hmm. hashtagging, through your behavior. It's extremely impactful. And I really want to highlight you and thank you for that because it's inspirational. Thank you. I, I, that means a lot, especially coming from you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So Isla, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to have impact as a profession. Sure. You've dedicated your life as a lawyer, transition <laughs> social worker, Tell us a little bit about your work in this space as a consultant and how nonprofits, donors, volunteers, program people interact with you or what an ideal interaction might look like with somebody who is really specifically utilized in the way you are. Yeah, great question. And thank you for that. By quick background, I spent about 14 years in the juvenile justice nonprofit space. And my role there in, in, a, in a great nonprofit here locally was to help design program. And as we grew, my role grew to operations, to talent, and, and to scale until we were part of a very life-changing experience for me as a professional. And that was the first cohort Propel Next, Edna McConnell-Clark Foundation's initiative. And it was a nationwide application. There were 14 or 15 organizations selected. And it was a three-year journey of intentionality, both to articulate intentionality and then to intentionally implement your strategy. And that was known as theory of change. I I hesitate to say it because I feel like theory of change has a is a dirty word now, like strategic planning. Like there's all everyone has different ideas of what that means. But Really, it's a journey of intentionality. And those several years of doing that work and helping implement that in our organization lit a total fire under me around a whole trajectory of impact in our sector. Our nonprofit sector, I believe, 
is in a crisis of reactivity because many of us in the human serving space do crisis related work. Mm. And so we react to our clients and sometimes our, our organizational thinking is reactive. We, we have come out of being a solution and reacting as a solution to a problem. Sometimes our practitioner days, if you're an executive right now listening, or if you are a practitioner working with clients, they're reactive. It's what fires you have to fight. And I'm really passionate that efficiency and changing the reactivity, the ratio of reactivity to proactivity creates efficiency and alignment that will eventually allow missions, nonprofit missions to do the work that is needed and sustain themselves until their missions are complete, until they're obsolete, despite their leaders' turnover, despite shifting demographics, despite challenges that may come their way. And so it's about shifting the conversation. So that's a long way to say that I started a consulting company. It's very unique in this space. We do hands-on, more analogous to management consulting as a response and a call to action to elevate our sector. Our company name is Venture Leadership Consulting, and our real work is to elevate the sector by creating methodologies for driving impact and scale of great solutions. And so we do individual client work. And we do it either as a traditional consultant, really stressing intentionality through theory of change and theory of change implementation. We do change management hands-on by taking the seat as an an executive within a company for a year to a year and a half. And we drive the work from the inside. And then we do leadership coaching and development. And while we do the client work, our real focus is to take the experiences that we have with clients and build a methodology that we're seeing across those clients to create solutions for the entire sector. So those are things that we're working on. We've been in existence for about five years and we really work with different unique nonprofits around strategies that they may need to be more intentional and effective. That's wonderful. And I think there's such a need for that type of work in order to set the vision for long-term success as as you articulated better than mm-hmm. I will in this summary. If the people who are listening are interested in understanding theory of change or intentional strategic planning, what are mm-hmm. a few tangibles that people might be able to jot down and reflect yeah. on and bring back to their organization? It's actually pretty simple. In the for-profit sector, We have a very clear metric of accountability, right? Mm. The metric of accountability in the for-profit sector is what? It's it's money. At the end of the day, how much profit are we getting? How much money are we getting, right? And that metric, I'm oversimplifying it, but that metric allows the companies to streamline and create efficiency. Can we build the product cheaper? Can we use cheaper materials? Can we distribute better, right? The focus is, again on more money. Mm -hmm. So we have to create a money metric in the nonprofit sector, and that is impact. Mm. So if you are listening and you work for an organization that cannot clearly articulate a measurable, verifiable impact statement by X year, X result is going to happen. 
I would really ask about that. And, and that is really around first creating a very robust, intentional place of accountable measurement that you can align everything else around. You can align your talent. If you're very clear about impact, then what are the core competencies needed at every level and altitude of your organization to create that impact? Mm. What is the type of budgeting and finance? What is the funder diversification? What is the kind of innovation and research do we need to do about a particular issue? Everything needs to align to that impact metric. One client story that I like to share that helps drive this point home is we had done some articulation work with one nonprofit and they were based out of a city. We'll call that city X. And they were really looking to make a major influence in statewide. And they, they were in the business of teen suicide prevention. But what was really great is you know, they said, well, we do team, we, we do a, a peer counselor hotline. We do some really great outreach to schools. We're really about preventing teen suicide. And that's good. That's what we do. They didn't have any juice or, or accountability on their actual impact metric. So we pushed and we pushed and they said, okay, by 2030, we will reduce all teen suicides in statewide by 50%. That is a super measurable goal. They can get data. They can get teen suicide data. Wow. They can get the year. They can understand if they have reduced teen suicide by 50%. Very measurable. Yes. There's one problem. They have intentioned that, but they operate only in City X. So what the heck? <laughs> right? And they were so driven by that money metric, or as I call it, but that impact metric that they actually intentionally created an advocacy policy arm to their work. So they still do the peer hotline. They still do the leadership work. But they also, they were already actually doing the advocacy piece. They just legitimized it with intentionality instead of being hmm. reactive. Hmm. And that proactivity in one year, I traveled for one year and I came back to check on this client and they got a regulation passed in the state of statewide that all schools in that state should receive suicide prevention, suicide training for all administrators and teachers. And now they're inviting us back to say, okay, can you help us think now about how we actually help deliver this across the state? Awesome. It opened up their impact metric, drove how they would think and do the work differently, which is now opening up a whole new scaling strategy, a funding strategy, for them. And yes, is there growing pains associated? Absolutely. But are they going to hit that 2030 impact metric? I am very confident that they're going to hit that impact metric with the type of work that they are now intentionally doing instead of just being reactive to where the suicides were happening. I love that you gave that example. As a fundraising consultant, I have many clients who are small and want to mm -hmm. grow. But the challenge is we are truly serving a small group of people. And right. many of those people, they're not going to be our six and seven figure donors that we need to move the needle. So how okay. do you create a ecosystem where the beneficiaries come through, receive services, and then come back around to fund the nonprofit? And if that's not going to be a viable path, then what are other paths? Right. It's hard to understand why to fund one local organization from another city, let alone another state. And so 
the work that I have been trying to perpetuate and what I'm hearing from you is think about how to be a thought leader. Think about having that butterfly effect, you know, a ripple effect. How is your work on your sample population in this one specific region actually going to impact others? And I love that example that you've just shared. And I would encourage anybody in any organization, whether you're a board member, executive director, program person, to come back to the, the thought leadership and say, how are we really disseminating the yep. work and how are we perpetuating the work beyond our one ecosystem? I think the sharing and the dissemination is also something that we in the sector have mixed reaction to, right? Yeah. There's a lot in our sector a noise. around a lot of noise and a yes. lot around protection. Like this yeah. is what we do. And so it's our secret sauce and we're not yes. going to share it. And and to some extent, even in our consulting field, yes. that yeah. kind of information. I know. I always try to ask you for advice and you won't tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Uh, because actually, that's so counterproductive, right? Yeah. We need to get over ourselves in whatever for-profit or nonprofit yeah. space we're in for the greater good of yeah. impact and change. So I love what you're saying about sharing and dissemination, not just from the perspective of impact, which is clear that if you have an impact statement and part of your strategy to achieve that measurable outcome is sharing and dissemination. Absolutely. And even if you don't have that, even if your impact statement is something that you can achieve within your own locus of control, the sharing piece is critical to elevate all of us. And I believe it's something that we don't, we either have mixed feelings about it and, or we don't have time. And so when people Mm -hmm. do their sharing is by way of grant reporting or by way of presenting at a conference that's largely reactive. And some really, really innovative nonprofits that have been clients of ours, they have in their budget, they have a percentage of funds, unrestricted dollars allocated to this notion of R&D, which is around white papers, dissemination, sharing of content. Because more innovation comes and more learning comes when we share. So everybody, it's a win-win for everybody to be seen as a thought leader, but also to then get the information that thought leaders are then exposed to. So I think we've got to get over ourselves on on the sharing piece. When a nonprofit is really clear about its impact strategy, here's the impact we want to make. Mm. Here's the way that we're going to do it. Here are the programs, advocacy, whatever else. What comes next is how you align everything to that, right? We've already talked about you align your programs or your advocacy arms. So that's also where you make the case for your dissemination, your R&D, your sharing, your thought leadership is in alignment to the impact metric. Mm. And you create budgets that are not just for that fiscal year, but for years two and three. And when funders begin to see a very well-articulated, audacious, but doable impact metric, and some real thought around fiscal ability to do so. So you say, here's what we need. We need 300,000 over the next three years to be able to achieve this aspect of the work. It's very compelling. Mm. And so we have found that it has not only attracted new work for even just research, dissemination, white paper, those kinds of things, so new funders, but also existing funders have an interest in creating capacity for those types of initiatives. So they may come back in for a smaller capacity grant from a general fund even, or from an RFP that's specifically to achieve your, your impact metric. That's wonderful. I, 
I am seeing and hearing funders say even more than ever before. I've been in the fundraising space for over a decade. Yeah, and I've you've been yeah, I've been, you know, doing interviews, feasibility studies, donor meetings, solicitations, coaching with executives, coaching with boards. In all of the space, I'm seeing now even more than ever that funders are really focused on long-term impact and how they yes. are able to move the needle on the cause far more than support an organization. So they are not as loyal to a brand as they are to a mission. Totally. I couldn't agree with you more. Sometimes I wonder, Lindsay, and you may have a better line of sight on this than I do, or maybe some of your listeners. My bias is I'm California Bay Area, born and raised. Mm -hmm. And so in our locale, whether you're an individual donor or a foundation, there is a bias around what is the return on investment. The ROI is 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 sort of at the epicenter dear, of the thinking dear, here, right? Centric, and yeah. I, we do some national work too. I think it's very true on both coasts. Same, I'm seeing the same thing on the East Coast. I don't, I don't have as much information if this is the ethos for for the rest of for the rest of the country in terms of funding. But I'm definitely seeing it on both coasts. And so, you know, back to your point, when you can make a case that the ROI is going to be great because whatever you're funding here with this particular client is going to influence the field of housing and be disseminated to touch, to create national models, Mm -hmm. that is way more compelling. It's a much bigger ROI than just that one particular client solution. But you you can't do that with credibility unless you've really put in the work around intentionality and really drawing and connecting those lines as to how it all makes sense. Mm. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. What have I not asked you, Isla, that you'd like to share with the audience this time? Well, I can tell you what I've been thinking about. I'm on my own never-ending personal quest. I know you you go on quest too, Lindsay. And so I've really been sitting with like, okay, so I've got this traveler lessons learned from this year abroad. And then there's all this clarity around kindness and connection and humanity as needing to come together more than ever to sort of combat the crises that we have created. And then there's all this for two decades have really spent time in this nonprofit space and kind of institutionally trying to to solve systemic challenges. And so for me, the question has been like, what's the thread? Like, what is this presenting for me? And, And I don't have the answer, but I can tell you something that's come that has made me very curious. And that is that I have noticed that in traveling and in my, at least in this venture leadership consulting space, a lot of what we did or now currently do is we immerse ourselves. And so I've been really thinking about like, what does immersion mean and look like? And in both the traveling and the venture leadership consulting, even the community kindness piece, all of those had timestamps on them. They were sprints. So I knew when we were great creating global family and community in country X, that we were going to leave in three weeks. And those, those relationships would transform into a different method, into a different frequency. Same with our clients. We go in and immerse ourselves very tightly into the culture because we need that trust to be able to do change management work. And then there's a timestamp. But we also know that in a year, year and a half, we will be departing. 
And with the community kindness party, it was a set amount of days that will have some sort of, I need to compile our outcomes and our data and then share it with the world and maybe do it again next year. And so I think what I'm learning and I'm curious about is I think there is something powerful about creating connection and trust and being intentional and transparent that that method and way of connecting is authentic and the love and that connection will sustain, but its vehicle will change. The frequency will reduce, the proximity will reduce, but that doesn't mean that you can't trust and not engage and lean in. There is some juxtaposition about trust and connection and departure. And I'm trying to explore for myself what that is, but I I see that very clearly in almost everything that I do. So I don't know if that's even helpful, but that's something that's been swirling for me. I certainly have a shared philosophy or thinking that I have been working on as well as I am going through the changes in my life as as anybody does at any any time, I suppose, just what's my current vision and thinking about how a purpose-driven life is sort of at the back of my mind to think, how what is purposeful, period? And then what is purposeful to me? And then what is the vehicle by which I am being purposeful? And I'm not achieving some goals that I want to achieve. And how am I coming to peace with that by knowing that there is still a purpose that's the thread that carries me through? So it's as you're saying, you know, as you're leaving one and going to the next, perhaps thinking about what does it mean to not achieve what you thought you would achieve or mm-hmm. to end a relationship or to open a relationship mm-hmm. or end a client engagement, open a new client engagement. There's so many changes and there's so much unpredictability that it seems like the only thing that floats or buoys me is thinking, you know, have I done my best? The serenity prayer is actually one that I re- mm-hmm. reference regularly. Mm-hmm of accepting what I can't change, changing what Mm -hmm. I can and having the wisdom to know the difference. And then really thinking about what's my mission and and how does that lift me up to just keep moving and to keep acting with authenticity and integrity in every interaction. And I'm not perfect. I make many, many mistakes, but it's just coming back to that as a home base, just like a nonprofit would, you know, what's your theory of change or what's your deeper impact. And then as a human, it's the same thing. Like what's my who am I in this world about further and how I can continue to grow in terms of creating happiness for myself, but creating happiness for others. To your point of creating connectivity starts with being you know, the best person you can be and having the whole wholeness inside that makes you get up in the morning and make positive behaviors or actions rather than negative that impact you and others around you. There's some really extensive work on gratitude and happiness regardless of privilege, which I think Mm. is really worth noting. And what is it? Some people find things flat, but one of the areas to point to is Bhutan has done some of this work to create a GHI, their gross happiness index. The field of science has put research behind what makes people happy. Mm. And the underlying consensus in the scientific community is gratitude. And it's gratitude in the face of, you know, in the face of poverty, in Mm. the face of limited access and means. With gratitude, there is a Mm. very clear connection to gratitude and happiness, despite a diverse set of circumstances. Mm. Uh, 
And so it's something to really, really learn from. What is one person, one idea, one theory you've given so much, but do you want to make any kind of shout outs? I'm, I'm trying to end all the podcasts with a shout out of positivity or gratitude for another person or another thing that's impacted your life. Oh gosh, I love that. Gosh, I have so many. I, I think I will choose to give a shout out to a personal hero of mine who mentored me from the pages of a book. Mm. And that's Maya Angelou. I have oh. read every single book of her autobiography. I think there's five. And I have learned so much from how she lived her life, both in inclusivity and civic engagement as a mother, as as a traveler, as a practitioner, as an activist, like, you know, as a creative poet and 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 a literary genius, right? And so I think my shout out is, is to Maya. Ah, beautiful. What's the best book that people would lead your people to? You got to start with number one, which is, it, it may be Why the Caged Bird Sings. I don't remember her, the first, the first title of her autobiography, mm-hmm. but her, it's set into five different volumes and it's, they're beautiful. They're mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. And each, each phase of her life tells, has a different lesson, in my opinion. I love it. I actually, I just read that one maybe two years ago and it was profoundly impactful to me as well, but yeah. I haven't read all of them. So maybe that's what I should read them get on Twitter. So my, my favorite, absolute favorite all-time book that I have reread multiple times in multiple phases of my life is The Alchemist. Oh, I love that. Paulo Coelho. Alchemist. I, I love that book. Love it. It's a timeless, timeless book and you'll get something new every single time oh. When I was working on Spanish, I was studying in Spain and I read that book in Spanish after I'd read it in English. And I thought, now this is good for my brain because I already know what the story is, but it was really helpful in learning Spanish. But I just loved how so many of the concepts sound so differently, the way language is constructed in Spanish versus in English, that there are actually different messages came through because of the idioms or the exact word. That's a good... Next time I read it, I'm going to read it in Spanish. I love that. What's your suggestion? Huh. Well, Isla, I just, I think so highly of you. Thank you so much for spending the time with me and with us and for being this amazing beacon of hope and insight and intellect and beauty for us all. My gosh, Lindsay, thank you so much yeah. for having me. First of all, this is super fun. It's my first Good. video cast ever. Woo! So, and just love, love connecting with you. Thank you for inviting me. And also thank you very much for coming to my hashtag community kindness party by doing this. Yes. I want to catch up with you more another time. Yeah. Until then, you know, have a beautiful day. You too. Love thank you lots. You. Thanks, Lindsay. You too. Love you too. Bye. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.